look forward to Thursdays for a lot of reasons, not just because, as Ann calls it, Friday's Eve, but because we learn some good things uh, each Thursday, especially when we talk to the folks from Michigan Medicine. This morning, no different, uh, although uh, kind of an in-depth thought about some of the things that happen that we don't talk about very often. Dr. Gerald Scott Winder is a clinical associate professor in the departments of psychiatry, surgery, and neurology at the University of Michigan, a consultation liaison psychiatrist. Never heard that before. He works alongside internal medicine doctors and surgeons in diagnosing and treating mental health and addiction problems in some of the most ill patients in the university hospital and health systems. Dr. Gerald Scott Winder, welcome to the Paul W. Smith Show at WJR. Thanks so much, Paul. Good to be with you. It is uh, so nice to learn about your field, and we haven't really heard much about it. Uh, it's fascinating. And one of the first thoughts that comes to my mind, and I've been hearing this just lately, it seems, but and many of my listeners may be participating, a lot of people participate in what they're calling dry January. After the holidays, yeah. they want a period in which they abstain from drinking alcoholic beverages for the full month. Talk to me about the whole psychology of of a dry January and, and in fact, if it is significant or not. Sure. It has some, it has cultural importance. I mean, it, depending on what you read, it came out of the United Kingdom or Europe, different places in Europe within the last decade or so. Some history suggests it goes back even to the time of World War II, but it's connected to the idea of New Year's resolutions. And alcohol being as common as it is, and alcohol problems being as common as they are, it's natural that this time of year, after the holidays, when we all indulge a little bit, I think all of us are thinking a little bit more about this part of our life and if it's really healthy. And alcohol's just sneaky. It makes us feel good. And the challenges it causes in our lives and in our bodies, Paul, are silent a lot of time. They sneak up on us. We can't detect them. So dry January makes a lot of sense as a time of the year when we're looking closer at all these things. Interesting. Um, and I've been seeing, uh, I don't know if they're ads or whatever, I keep seeing this, like the picture of a brain, and it says this is your brain on alcohol, this is your brain without alcohol and all of that. Yeah. I mean, most of the time in the past, we're with Dr. Gerald Scott Winder, uh, University of Michigan, um, most of the time in the past, the conversation has been about the health benefits of alcohol. Yeah, and there probably are some, um, you know, but if we know anything about human beings and how we are and how we think and how we live, we're all very different. So when you have scientists who find a health benefit in a particular group of people, Paul, that doesn't necessarily transfer to all of us. There's another thing about humans that's kind of sneaky. We we like to hear what we like to hear, and we like alcohol. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yep. I've been trying to get a doctor. I've been trying to get a doctor to prescribe. <laughs> red wine to me for years. It still hasn't happened. Yeah, you're not alone, good <laughs> sir. You're not alone. So, um, I mean, 70% 70, 70 of us, um, have uh, U.S. adults, have had alcohol in the last year, 50% of us in the last month. I mean, this is, this is really common, um, you know, th th that we drink. And so when we hear something about why it's good for us, we really like that. The challenge is, is then when doctors say that we need to maybe cut back or doctors try and quantify how much we're drinking, the human tendency is to kind of minimize or gloss over things or grab onto facts that we like to hear. And that's what makes the problem slippery and challenging. 
That's well put. And and frankly, let's face it, we've been hearing about uh, some, by any other measure, even though we feel we have excuses for this because of everything we've gone through for the last two years, there's there are trends when it comes to alcohol consumption rates that are not pretty. They're not good. And, and there are some connections between the drinking rates, the mental health, the pandemic. Talk to us. Sure. So um, the pandemic has made everything worse. And I, you know, that's, a, that's an intentionally broad statement. And when it comes to alcohol, there's a lot of ways that it has affected folks. We knew that alcohol problems were a big challenge. I work with you know, uh, colleagues with, with patients who have liver problems, heart problems, general health problems, where alcohol is a, is a big deal, even people who need a liver transplant. So we knew, Paul, that alcohol problems were surging. But what happened during the pandemic was people's natural lives, their sober connections, the, their outlets, the, the things they did to kind of soothe themselves and reach out for some, some mental health wherever they found it, that all got disrupted. But alcohol, you know, outlets, establishments stayed open, not the bars, but the, the, the commercial outlets where you could purchase it. And so we saw surges in alcohol-related problems like the disorder itself, alcohol use disorder, Paul, but also alcohol-related liver disease and even transplants um, for alcohol-related liver problems. And so the, this, we're on a steep hill right now, which makes this conversation that you and I are having uh, you know, with us, with the listeners, really important to kind of raise everybody's consciousness about this. You know, this is the beauty of these conversations, especially on Thursday mornings with uh, Michigan Medicine. You just used a term I have not uh, heard before. Uh, alcohol use disorder. Is that what we call alcoholism now? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the terminology, when you talk about sensitive stuff, Paul, like, you know, addiction and mental health, it's always evolving. There's some terms I think you and I could think of them, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we might use these terms. <clears throat> we don't use them anymore. And that's because there's some stigma and some challenges that come up naturally with certain terms. Alcoholic, alcoholism, those are kind of older and perhaps more prejudiced terms that we tend not to use. Alcohol use disorder just talks about the clinical diagnosis when the way we drink is risky, we become dependent on it, we lose control. We start to see that there's social impairment, and then we keep drinking in a certain way despite accumulating consequences. It's basically a list of criteria, Paul, and the professional in front of you kind of tallies that up during a thoughtful interview to make that diagnosis. So we take note of our drinking, and we internally know, uh, hopefully, we know that there's we're off a little bit, that... that that we're risking, we have risky behavior, we're, it's affecting our lives, our, our relationships, our jobs, whatever. What advice do you have for people who are looking to change their drinking habits? Not easy, I think. No, and it's, you know, it's not even easy to start thinking about it. And that's where I spend a lot of my time with people is even just exploring the idea that this might not be the most healthy part of a person's life. But let's be, let's be real, Paul. I mean, a, a lot of people make changes on their own without having to see a shrink like me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Most of us uh, don't see psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists and social workers on there's a regular basis. There's some kind basis. of fear. Just, there's kind of a fear, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and there's a lot of stigma. There, there can be some judgment in our minds and the minds of the people around us. But the advice I have is it's really important to get some good facts about alcohol. 
it's really important to have the courage, the inner courage, to ask some difficult questions about ourselves and how we drink. Let's not discount the power of the information we get from the people we love and the power of making some small changes over you know, the next few weeks and months. And you know, I'm biased because I am a mental health professional, but mental health professionals are thoughtful, well-trained people that are pretty normal, most of us. And we're ready to help, and we really care a lot about these problems, and we certainly, certainly care about the people sitting in front of us. It's such a privilege to be able to talk to people about these really important parts of their life. I have to tell you, Doc, I could go on and on all day with you. We will have you back, no question about it. And I can also tell you this, uh, as a shrink, in your own words, if all (laughs) shrinks or psychiatrists presented themselves and explained themselves as clearly, as non-threateningly as you do, People wouldn't be afraid or hesitate to see their mental health professionals. So good for you, and I'm glad that well, we've met. Paul, that's and, a lovely compliment. Thank well, you. I, I, I mean it, and I thank you for the way you've uh, helped us this morning. Dr. Gerald Scott Winder, clinical associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry, Surgery, and Neurology at the University of Michigan, as we continue on the Paul W. Smith Show at WJR.